Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, if we've not met, my name is Ben Robertson, and I'm a campus minister with Reform University Fellowship over at the college. And so particularly if your parents here in town visiting uh, your William & Mary students, we're so grateful to have them to be a part of this body, and it's my privilege to serve on that campus. So thank you for being here, and I'd love to meet you afterwards if you have time to stick around. Today we're going to be looking at a few stories that Jesus told, some parables, when he was invited to a party from Luke chapter 14. I'll give you a second to turn there. Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 7. Again, the context, Jesus is a guest at a dinner party. I hear pages. I'll pause. Luke 14, starting at verse 7. Now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. He said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Lord God, thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the great host and that you have extended to us this invitation, that you have compelled us to come in and to sit at your banquet, that your house may be full. Lord, fill your house. Please let us have a seat with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, people talk about their favorite news sources, and you sort of have to choose the, sort of the big ones, or Fox News, or CNN, and you know, which one you pick says a lot about you. 
My favorite news source is The Onion. Um, I don't know what that says about me, but here's an article I read recently from The Onion. The title is this. If you don't know The Onion, it's a satirical news source. Report. Only 20 minutes until introverted man gets to leave party. San Mateo, California. Here's the article. Having already spent a considerable amount of time quietly examining items around the apartment and standing on the periphery of others' discussions until walking away under the pretense that he needed to refill his cup, local introvert Dennis Brewer reported today that there are only 20 more minutes left before he gets to leave an acquaintance's house party. I told myself I'd stay here until 8.30, and I already killed about 15 minutes avoiding conversation by circling repeatedly around the table of hors d'oeuvres to appear occupied and another cumulative half hour pretending to text friends, so I just need to make it a few more minutes, the tense man told reporters while sifting through a pile of coats on the host's bed, as if he was having trouble locating his own jacket, an activity he planned to perform for the next 10 minutes, or until someone else entered the room. If I walk back and forth between the conversations in the kitchen and then the living room for a little while and go back to the bathroom one more time, then I'll have been here long enough to tell the host that I have some work to finish up before going to bed and that I should probably get going. Then it's just a matter of slipping on my shoes, and waiting to tie them until I get out the door so that not too many people see me leaving and ask why I'm headed out so soon. At press time, sources reported that Brewer's plans for withdrawal were dangerously imperiled by a partygoer's insistence that the whole group hit up a nearby bar together. End of article. Now the joke of the article, of course, is that not everyone enjoys a party, right? Sometimes we'd rather not be there and we would like to slip out unnoticed. Truth is introverts enjoy parties too. I love introverts, they're great. I'm an extrovert. But the onion is, of course, <laughs> sort of kidding. It's kidding. Because the premise of the article in The Onion and the premise of these stories that Jesus tells is that to some extent we all want to be at a party, right? Everything about it, the sharing of the food, the sense of community, the sense of belonging, the sense of inclusion, the fellowship of friendship. We all want that. And that's what Jesus is driving at in this story. In that sense, we all love parties. But honestly, when we think about the word party, and then God, we typically think of God as the one who's there to sort of calm the party down, like lights out, too many decibels, people are having a little too much fun for this to be a holy occasion, he's the cosmic party pooper, he's the killjoy, and all this partying seems excessive and frivolous and needs to stop or at least be settled down a bit. But one thing we see here in our text today is first... That God wants a party. The God that we worship, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He wants a party. We see here that God loves party, and He, in fact, throws the greatest party of them all. But we also see that though He wants a party, He wants a different party. A different party, a new party. In the context of our passage, Jesus is attending this party not with loud music necessarily or dancing, but it would have included dinner, food and drink, storytelling, and perhaps singing songs together. But I love this story here, starting in verse 7, because Jesus makes things very, very awkward at this party. You, you would think, wouldn't you love to have Jesus to, to a party at your house? But then you see how he treats uh, the guests. In verse 7, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So based on what he's seeing right there in front of them, that's what, I've got an idea. I have, this reminds me of a story, says Jesus, seeing what you people are doing. 
And when you go to a party, don't sit at the high seat, sit at the low seat, because you're going to get embarrassed. You're going to get shamed in front of the guests. He who exalts himself will be humbled. What are you guys doing? He's at the party and tells that story in response to what he sees happening right there in front of him. And he's telling the story because he wants the party to change. He wants a different kind of party. See, at this party, everyone is jockeying for position, right? They want to sit at the best seat. They want to be included in the inner circle with the important people, the movers and the shakers, the opinion makers. But thankfully, Jesus told this story. And then from there on, throughout time, we've stopped doing that, right? We've quit jockeying for position, and we understand what he's saying, and so no one does this sort of thing anymore. Actually, no, I, I, think, it, I think it continues. I think we all recognize that, right? That sense of moving next to the important person, wanting to be seen, wanting to sit in the high place. This social dynamic might, in fact, be one of the few single universal tendencies of every culture around the globe in one way or another. C.S. Lewis, in his excellent article, The Inner Ring, describes it this way, and he talks about how it's very obvious, say, in D.C., where people are trying to move and shake and play house of cards with one another, socialites, politicians, and elitists. But Lewis goes on, also others. He says this, people who believe themselves to be free and indeed are free from snobbery, who read satires on snobbery with tranquil superiority, may be devoured by the desire, the desire to be in the inner circle, in another form. It may be the very intensity of their desire to enter some quite different ring which renders them immune from all the allurements of high life. An invitation from a duchess would be a very cold comfort to a man smarting under the sense of exclusion from some artistic or communistic coterie. Poor man. It is not large lighted rooms or champagne or even scandals about peers and cabinet ministers that he wants. It is the sacred little attic or studio, the heads bent low together, the fog of tobacco smoke, and the delicious knowledge that we, we four or five, all huddled beside this stove, we are the people who know. Ever felt that? Ever sat in a circle of people and kind of glanced around and been like, yeah, I think everybody here gets it. We get it. So we want to climb into that inner ring. We want to get deeper and deeper into some secret little party, a little group that gives us our identity, our sense of belonging, of who's in and who's out. We just had bid day recently on campus, didn't we, students, in the Greek system? And there it's, it's quite obvious. There's like actual like line drawn between who's in and who's out, right? You're voted in, you're voted out. And it's real obvious in situations like that or in the political spectrum. But it's actually totally scalable to any group that you're in, any organization, any church, in your neighborhood, in the office place. Who's in? Who's out? Who will advance my career? And that's what the people at this party are doing. And it's what we often do at most of our parties in one way or another though we might not be as brazen as Jesus' party guests, because we get our identity. We want to identify with the insiders and not the outsiders. Sit next to, and it has something to do not just with who we choose to sit next to at the party, 
but who we invite when we're the host, right? Because Jesus goes on, verse 12. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner banquet, do not invite your friends and your brothers and your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He's saying don't just invite people who can pay you back. Don't just invite people who can advance you. I think there's an immediate and obvious application, which is exactly what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? Who do we invite? To whom do you open your home? Whom do we as a church invite and include? And think that person would be a great member of our church. Is it just people like us or people who can make us seem better, people that we identify with, or do we see our neighborhoods? Do we see our communities? Do we see this church as an outpost of a place that says, come all as you are? And really, what Jesus is getting at in this second story is the same principle that he got at in the first, just framed differently. We want to associate with people that can do something for us that can advance our own identity, our own status, our own reputation, our own wealth. We invite people who can help us, and we want to associate with them. Recently, I was uh, looking at Facebook, and I saw a friend that I hadn't seen in a while. You know how Facebook kind of filters who they put in front of you? And the reason my friend Trevor's picture showed up is because this picture of Trevor uh, had gotten a whole lot of likes and comments under it was getting attention, so Facebook was like, I bet other people want to know about this, and so here he is on my screen. There's Trevor. I'm like, oh, I hadn't seen Trevor in a while. He's a worship leader in Nashville um, at, at, a, at a PCA church there, and there's a picture of Trevor and his pastor at the front of the church right after a service, and standing between them is Matthew McConaughey. Oh, I see why I got so many likes. It took me a second, actually, to recognize Matthew McConaughey because he had a shirt on. Um, <laughs> and... This was, was weird for me. I was like, I think that's really, that's him. And, um, but, you know, why did it get so many likes? Why did it get so much credit? Why are they so drawn? Matthew McConaughey was at our church. Isn't that great? Isn't that special? And that's why we're so excited about Bono, right? U2 puts their album out into every... Every iPod on the planet suddenly has Bono's music in it, and he's very outspoken about his faith, and it's very clear in his lyrics. Or even more edgy, <laughs> Lecrae. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Lecrae is performing on Jimmy Fallon. If you don't know who he is, he's a Christian rapper. And he's not just a Christian, he's reformed, okay? <laughs> like, he's like the real thing. Uh, Matthew McConaughey at a PCA church, a reformed guy performing on Jimmy Fallon. What in the world? This is great. What are we doing? Why are we so excited? We're doing something that sociologists call burging. There's actually a word for it. Burging stands for basking in reflected glory. We burg. We say, this person has got it. They're important. They're a mover and a shaker. They are there, and we are going to bask in that glory. We're going to share it with them. I'm with Lecrae. I'm with Bono. He's one of us. See, Jesus inverts the paradigm, though. He says, no, not at my party. I don't invite you to my party so that I can glom off of your glory. God invites us to his party so that he can share his glory with us. His party and his party alone is an act of grace. When you and I have people over, we may be doing them a favor, but you couldn't really call it an act of grace 
right? Um, but with God it is. He shares his glory with us. This party is an act of grace. God wants a party and a different kind of party, but second, he will have his party. He will have his party. See, after making things very awkward by insulting the guests and insulting the host uh, at the party, there's a guy who sort of tries to bail Jesus out. Did you notice this in verse 15? Uh, Blessed are anyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Like, it's just just sort of generic spiritual statement that's sort of meaningless, you know, but I think we can all agree, right, Jesus? You know, um, but Jesus doesn't let him get away with it. He continues. He's like, no, I mean, let's keep going. (laughs) Um, And he tells this other story of a man who sends out the invitations. The the save the dates have gone out, and they've gotten a little bit of a sense of who's coming, but then the, the day of the great feast comes, and the RSVPers aren't showing up. So he sends his servant out, and they all give these excuses, right? I bought a field. Okay? Like, well, how does that prevent you from coming to the party? It makes no sense. Um, I, I have some oxen. Yes, you know, okay, again, and my favorite one, the favorite excuse, the last one, you know, I was going to come, but I got married. I just totally forgot that I was going to do that, and now I can't make it to your party. These are ridiculous excuses understood in their local context. And they're actually insulting to the host who's invited them. Because these men missed that the party was an act of grace. They thought that they were the life of the party. That they were doing the host, in this case God, a favor by attending his feast. Have you ever experienced that? Ever done that? with another person, you're doing them a favor, or had someone over and they treated you as though it was quite your honor to have them for dinner. That's how this parable is telling us that we treat God. He's very lucky to have me here. And they give these excuses because they're too busy doing life to enjoy the feast laid out for them. Too busy with their affairs, with their goals, with their agendas. Are you... Am I too in love with my own self-importance and ministry goals to know that God is there? Now, God is at work in your jobs and in your goals and in your neighborhood. But are you so focused on those things that you've missed him in the process in living for yourself? And Jesus is saying, no, you don't get it to these partygoers and to us. But guess what? He says the party will go on. The party will go on. He sends out the servant to go gather all the people that you didn't want to invite to your party in the first place in this story. And he says, go get them. And then he says, well, there's still room. What a wonderful verse. There's yet more room. He says, no, go go to the hedges. The guy falling asleep under the bushes, rouse him, compel him to come in. My house will be full, he says. It's interesting is when I read this parable, I instinctively identify with the first group of people, the ones invited. I see myself that way. But the fact that I've come into the feast, which I believe by faith I have, actually means I was the guy asleep under the bushes. But that's what it means to be here. That you've been roused, that you've been compelled, that you've been brought in 
though you're not whom others might expect to be at the party of Jesus. Lewis, in his essay, says this interesting thing, this sense of always wanting to be on the inside and being afraid of being an outsider and pushing and shoving to get your way in. He says this, until you conquer the fear of being an outsider, an outsider you will remain. As long as you're afraid that you don't belong, then you, you can't get it. But what Jesus is saying is, you belong. All of you. It is given. My party is an act of grace. You belong here. A couple of applications. If you're arrogant, if you're arrogant, you probably don't know it. <laughs> but if you think you're self-important, if you think you're lucky, or that God is lucky to have you on his team, and that you're going to work your way in deeper and deeper to the inner and important rings. Woe to you. Get over yourself. And you will not find joy and you will not find a feast in the center of that ring. Like an onion, it will peel away and peel away and peel away until there's nothing left. Just you alone. But second, if you think that you don't belong, if you come to God, to community, to people, to this church and think, I just don't really fit in here. This isn't for me. I don't see, I don't know what these people are saying. I don't know what's going on. You do belong. The party is for you. And that party is an act of grace. You do belong. I've been reading uh, over the last year or so The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings to my children. And a, a couple months ago, we got to the stage in The Fellowship of the Ring. If you're not familiar with the series, sorry. <laughs> um, there's this scene where Frodo, a hobbit, who's a very small preacher, little man, um, is at this banquet uh, of a king named Elrond. And there's all these warriors and princesses and famous people that he's heard about in poems. And then he's there at this banqueting hall at a table. And it's this wonderful thing because he feels like, I just shouldn't be here, you know? And I even have to go and get cushions on the chair just so he can sit up to be at the table and actually be able to make eye contact with a dwarf. That's how small he is, right? But there's this moment that, 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 that Tolkien describes as he's sitting at the table and he begins to look around and at one point the king looks his way and acknowledges him just with his eyes. And Frodo suddenly realizes, as ridiculous as it is, this little guy sitting up on cushions at the, at the banqueting hall, that he's wanted there. He absurdly doesn't belong at the table, and yet he completely does. And from that moment onward, he has the night of his life. He enjoys the feast in front of him, the conversation around him. He's full of joy and happiness. It's one of the best nights he's ever had. Because once you understand that it's all of grace, then you are free to enjoy the party. You don't have to worry about where you're sitting anymore. You're just overjoyed to be there. And God has invited you because he wants you there. You don't have to jockey for position or get in his inner ring. There's no haves or have-nots, just pure joy at the table, at the feast. This idea of a wedding feast is central to the heart of Jesus. He worked his very first miracle at a wedding feast. We see in his lifetime he attends parties quite regularly. And then, of course, the scripture describes the return of Jesus after his death, resurrection, ascension. His return to earth is pictured as a wedding feast, as a giant party 
the wedding banquet of the Lamb, that he shed his blood to provide for you and me. I want to read to you the lyrics of a song. It's called Chariot by a group called Page France. Um, and I love their imagery. It's a little kooky and weird and odd. But they take the imagery of a wedding feast. They take an imagery of a circus. They love, and throughout their music, they, just, they describe God's people, the church, and the kingdom of God as a circus show with Jesus at the center directing the whole thing. And then the lyrics of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot kind of all mushed up into one. I want to read it to you because I think it really captures what's going on here. It says this, swing like a chariot at the trumpet call when we're all unsaved. Swing like a wrecking ball, like a heart of God. What a mystery. Filled with the wedding feast for the snakes and bees with the angel teeth. Swing, come and carry us, come and marry us to the blushing circus king. And dance like elephants as he comes to us through a fiery golden ring with a violin and a song to sing as he brings for us our wings. Now he's one of us, plays the tambourine, breaks the bread for us, and sings. Will you wait for us? Will you stay for us? Will you grace us everything? You are a wrecking ball with a heart of gold. People wait for it to swing like a chariot. Swing it low for us. Come and carry us away so that we will become your happy ending. So that we will become the happy ending. I love that song. It's weird, isn't it? But the imagery of Jesus dancing with a tambourine, the phrase, now he's one of us, breaks the bread for us and sings, Jesus has come he, and he will return and throw that party. And he is saying to us in these parables, I will have my party and it is for you. I will bring you in. I will compel you in and I will grace you everything. God has thrown a massive banquet for his people. And the invitation is extended to you. Don't ignore it. Give up your self-importance and take the invitation. Or come over the fear of being an outsider and enjoy the party that in Christ God has thrown for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you delight in us Though we don't deserve it, that you died and rose again to accomplish our salvation. And you saved us, Lord, for your own glory, but also for our joy. And because you delighted in us and loved us and wanted us. Thank you for wanting us. Thank you for including us. Thank you for giving us a seat at your table. We praise you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.